1: Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to episode 85 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I hope you know and feel this. You belong here. What's happening through this podcast is way bigger than me and anything I'm capable of doing. And I love, I mean absolutely love how many of you are finding the podcast and through the podcast finding a community of like-minded and like-hearted people from around the world who are choosing to live, love, and lead in a human's first kind of way. Or maybe you're finding the podcast through a community. You found the community and somebody was talking about the podcast. However you got here, I'm thrilled you are here right now and that you're listening to this conversation today. This, yes, this conversation, it's another amazing installment in what it means to live, love, lead, and work in a human's first way. Our guest today is Cecile Peer, and she joins us from Zurich. She is a global expert and leading researcher on workplaces and workplace culture. But more than that, she's one of us. She belongs here and has keen insights on belonging. Get ready to lean in and listen. Welcome, Cecile Peer. What a delight to have you join us today and to add to this series of conversations we're having about what it means and what it takes to do work in a human's first kind of way. This is going to be awesome. So welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Kevin.
1: And where are you joining us from today? What part of the world?
0: I live and work in Zurich now, although I travel quite a bit of my time for work, but I am in Zurich today so I'm in my comfortable office. <laughs> awesome.
1: awesome. So there's just so many things I want to explore with you but before we do any of that, I just always love starting these conversations right now in this moment. what's something you are grateful for?
0: Yeah, I have been listening to your podcast and really enjoying them too. so just okay. want to say thank you for that as well. It's a great contribution to the community. So what am I grateful for in the moment? A few weeks before the year end, we adopted a cat from the shelter. And unfortunately, he was subject to some human violence. And after six surgeries, he had one of his legs amputated. It's our first pet. He's a bundle of love. And I really am grateful to be able to provide a safe and loving home for him. That's what I'm grateful
1: for at the moment. That's sweet. Yeah. So good for the cat and good for you. You know, being a pet family forever. Are you? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've had dogs and cats. You know, there was a point in time, my favorite dog, and I've got a picture of her right here that I'm looking at at this moment. Maggie, when I would travel, when I would come home. She was like the happiest person or happiest Uh, member of the family. see me, you know, the kids and my wife. But Maggie would go crazy.
0: Well, we had that. So I was traveling the last four weeks, actually, and I was on FaceTime with my husband and he would put the cat on. And I swear, the cat understood my voice or perhaps that's what I want to believe in. But they are happy when you come back home. And as I said, it's our first. Hat. we haven't been able to bear children. So it's really a joyful companion in our new house now. So mm. I'm grateful for it.
1: I love that. So thanks for sharing that with us because this really is, it's about being humans first. And I love it when you bring such a personal dimension to the conversation. And you know, the way I view these cause you've listened to others. Mm-hmm. I always think about if we were in our favorite coffee shop, and we're sitting at a table. What is your favorite coffee shop there in Zurich? And where would we be if we were sitting in your coffee shop today?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Boy, oh, it's a tough question. I do love coffee. And, you know, I come from the land of Turkey where there is Turkish coffee, which for me is the best coffee in the world. It's probably too strong for many people. <laughs> but there's a wonderful little bakery in our village here that I. Truly enjoy. The ladies are a joy. They make the pastries themselves. Every once in a while, I'm there in the morning working from there. So we probably would be there, if not in our
1: balcony. <laughs> okay, so the three of us, you, me, and the person joining us listening at this moment, we're sitting there in the bakery. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to introduce you to our friend. But I'm not quite sure how to introduce you, Cecile. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, gosh, you do so much. So how would you answer the question? Please tell us about you and your work sitting there.
0: Thank you. Okay, so this is not maybe what you want to hear, but I'll start with the personal side, although I really don't like to divide the personal and professional. But I would probably tell you I am a warm-hearted, ever child, all-loving global citizen of the world. Like, that's how I define myself. Okay. But professionally, I am an IO psychologist. I have been in the practice of human resources management and organizational development for a decade. The initial 17 years or so of my career, I served Fortune 100 companies. And now for the last four years, I am the CEO of a boutique management firm here based in Zurich, although we do have Affinity in Istanbul and in Seattle, and our mantra is challenging the status quo of work. So we are passionate to create meaningful experiences for the global workforce, which means we are on a mission to build sustainable, human centric organizations, and therefore we are at the front line of many leadership and culture transformation work.
1: Wow. I love that. I
0: don't know what I said now, so I hope it's good.
1: (laughs) I know it's really good. There's just so many dimensions to that. And I want to explore some of those. And I love that change the status quo of work. So let's just Mm -hmm. ask what's wrong with the status quo of work and why does it need to be changed?
0: You know, there is nothing wrong with this status quo work, but it is a fact that our current leadership and work practices have been developed almost 100 years ago by the industrials of their time. Mm-hmm. Many of the management groups that sort of introduce literally all of the processes that we engage in from line management to people management, actually. They're either dead or they have retired. It's just we have a very old view into the way that we do work. Yeah. And the ways that we live our lives and the ways that consumers consume our products, our goods, our services has evolved immensely since then. So that's why we're challenging the status quo work because we think there can be a better way that's better suited to our current lives to our modern lives and to the way we are built as human beings that's what's underneath that
1: okay then the other part of what i heard you say and thanks for sharing that and we're going to come back to that in just a moment But the other part of that, that this is what so excites me in our interactions, whether they've been on social media, email, a lot on LinkedIn or conversations that we've had before, this meaningful work for everyone,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, because I think there are some people for whom work is meaningful Mm -hmm. and they are the fortunate few. And it's not like they just got life's golden ticket. And meaningful work exists only for them. You have this belief, this conviction Mm -hmm. that meaningful work exists for everyone. I love that. Let's go into that. Talk to us about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so yes, we are convinced that there is a meaningful experience possible for everyone. I think the way I would try to explain our philosophy there is that at an individual level, and I listened to you and Claude speak a couple of weeks ago, if not last week, she said this, she said, we all want to be seen. Yeah. As an IO psychologist, I agree with her wholeheartedly. And I would add to it. I would say at an individual level, we all want to be seen, but in the context of organizations, we also want to be heard of. We want to be cared for. And we want to be recognized for our contribution. That's belonging. That's Mm -hmm. belonging in a collective sense. And that interprets itself to an organizational level. Well, we're looking for self-honoring. We want Smith, we of power. We want acceptance. You know, we want better sponsorship, you name it. But essentially, we are all seeking a sense of belonging from the experiences that we gain. And I do believe, Any work can be meaningful when it honors our humanity, meaning who we are and what we bring to the table. In fact, well, I mentioned I've been on the road the last four weeks. Last week, I was in the Middle East with one of the world's largest FMCG, and we were checking out one of their sourcing sites. And I met a young designer. She was just fresh out of college, first job. And I asked her, you know, what do you do? And what do you like about your job? And she said to me, I love that I can build fashion into affordable clothing because these people mm. who can't afford some of the fashion actually need it the most. And I thought, oh, that's profound, you know, coming from a 19-year-old who just graduated. But over the years, this is what I have witnessed. You know, I travel to different sites with different organizations, veteran in manufacturing or in you know, auto industry, doesn't matter. And I would speak to everyone down the chain, all the way down to an operator. They do have a good sense of what they're doing. As long as the environment invites them in, I think they can find a good sense of meaning and purpose, for sure.
1: Okay, so, oh, wow. I have to just pause a moment and just kind of soak this in because there's so much richness in what you just said. One of these, two mm-hmm. paths I want to explore with you. One. How does a leader find out, discover what's important to someone in their organization?
0: Yeah, very good question. Tough question, but a very good question. So, uh, people are often moved by external factors. Okay, so external factors would be things like reward systems, Mm -hmm. I don't know, grades, evaluations, and sometimes the opinions of others or you know, if they fear that they're going to get some sort of retribution, that could also Mm -hmm. get their attention. But more frequently, people are motivated from within. So by their interests, from their curiosity, from a care, the ability to be able to give care or receive care, and or abiding values. So I tend to default to this it's called self-determination theory. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it represents a broad framework for motivation, for human motivation. Mm-hmm. And what it would argue is that the conditions supporting the individual's experience for performance would need to include three things. Autonomy confidence and relatedness. That's the essence of self-determination theory. And you will hear many scholars like Daniel Panks of the world speak to this or Sean Anchors of the world.
1: I was gonna say, this is drive, right?
0: Right, this is autonomy, this is mastery, this is purpose. So all of us, and you know what? They sit right on top of pure human evolution in a sense that we are built to connect We're built to protect ourselves, so there's a bit of self-interest there. But there's also a need for being a part of something meaningful, some bigger experience. So that's where purpose comes in. And so we all want a little bit of a sandbox to play in. We want, of course, some sort of an outcome to gain from that. That could be our compensation. That could be a learning opportunity. But we also want to know that we are doing work that's feeding and serving other people something bigger than ourselves. So those are the three components I would definitely encourage leaders to play with.
1: Okay, I love your answer. Now, I'm just a simple guy. You know, I don't have the level (laughs) or the specificity of education you have. But the way I would kind of go into this self-determination, what I just heard you say, for me, Mm -hmm. the shorthand is the best way to find out what's important to someone is to ask them.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? This is so true. So here's the thing. When I go from one organization to another, speaking to different leaders at different levels, mm-hmm. they will all want a pill. Okay, they'll say, give me a pill to make my team work. Give me a pill to make my organization work. I would love to be able to give them a pill, but the actual pill is to relate to the individual. Yes. Again, we all want to be seen heard of, cared for, and recognized for our contribution. If you ask people, what motivates you? What makes you get up in the morning? Or how can I best support you? What are some of the challenges on your way? How can I help you overcome them? They're going to spill all of their bins. (laughs) And then you know what? You have the perfect recipe for success. You can play with that. But if you don't ask, you will never know. And I don't hear a lot of leaders asking, that's Mm. the problem. We don't engage in this human-to-human way to Mm. understand one another. Mm. So you're absolutely right. You heard me right. That's the right answer
2: (laughs) from my perspective.
1: Well, thank you. I thought it was. I
0: mean, (laughs) we
1: can make this way more complex. And it's great to have systems and processes, but as my friend, Cheryl Batchelder, who is now interim CEO of Pier One, had been CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, I picked up this phrase from her that it's just how she led her team. I've mm-hmm. got to know I you to mm-hmm. grow you, right? I've got to know you to grow you. Well, how do I get to know you? It's out of relationship. It's out mm-hmm. of conversation. And I can't look at you and say, okay. You are in this, you know, box in the organizational chart. So everyone else that's in that same box in the organizational chart is moved and motivated the way you are moved and motivated. So I know one because I've got to know one. Now I know everybody. No, I don't think so. Right. Everybody's different. Everybody is unique.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. No. What was it? No, you. To grow. I'm going to make note of that. I
1: really like it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just a simple shorthand. And the moment I heard her say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I've got to know you to grow you. It, you know, it's just little things like that. When other leaders, executives hear that, they go, yeah, I get that. I get that. So I want to go back to the other part you were talking about. Part of this is the environment.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. What do leaders need to be aware of and attuned to in their environment, in the environment they are creating, that either invites people in and allows them to flourish mm-hmm. or shuts them down?
0: Yeah, so this is a very difficult formula as well.
1: But That's why we've got you. We've got you for the tough questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll see how I do with it. So I'll answer it from my perspective. You know, we care to support organizations to build environments of inspiration, meaning, safety, and joy. That's our goal.
1: What a minute. Inspiration, meaning, safety, and joy. Yep. Okay.
0: And that's grounded in our core belief that all human beings are worthy of dignity, clarity, well-being, and empathy. Okay. So they translate somehow. But how these values are going to transcend is going to be different from one organization to another. Right. And our goal often as consultants is to bring the right ingredients in specific to that organization to create the climate that's most suitable to their audience. Again, that's going to be different from one organization to another. And I do want to emphasize that because, again, one of the common behaviors that I observe leaders engage in is they will hear about something good somewhere else and they will <laughs> want to bring it into their organization. Just last month before I went on the road, I traveled to a multinational pharmaceutical here, not one I was engaged in before. And I learned that they're mimicking everything from Google.
1: Mm. So they
0: not only use Gmail and GDOcs, but they try to do the same employee surveys they try to do the same sort of whiteboarding and i really discourage leaders yeah. and organizations from this because the makeup of that environment is specific to their audience and what they're trying to accomplish. So what I often say is the best practice is your way to practice. So you just have to practice is important, but you have to find out your way into that practice. And the best environments, when I say best for me, is the most human workspaces are the ones that allow its people the space to be, yeah. to show up, and to contribute in ways that's most unique to them. And so for one organization, that may mean that people work from different geographies, that there's no office that they can work remotely. For others, it's going to be that they have a shared office and they have to come to office in a couple hours a day. You know, for some people, it's going to mean that they're going to work in the evening because they have day commitments and for others it's going to mean that they're going to work nine to four and then they have to be available for their kids in the evening. So it's really going to look different from one place to another. I don't want leaders to get hang up on formulas because really it can actually disturb them and do a lot of harm rather. So that's my answer. I don't know if that's a good enough answer for your question but that's how I think about the environment.
1: Cecile, it's a beautiful answer for the question. I just love it. Because what you said earlier, so many leaders, executives are wanting the pill. You know, Mm -hmm. is it the blue or the purple or the pink? Whatever, just give us the pill or give us the three-step program, give us the blueprint.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. what you're saying,
1: and this is what I believe, this is the value of consulting and consultants. It's not just, here are the principles, or as you said, practice, go do them. It's like, here's what's worked other places. Here are the principles at play. How do these best apply to your culture, your environment, and your people? So there Mm -hmm. has to be adaptation, not just replication.
0: No, it's very true. And there's so much I could say about this, of course. I'm so passionate about the topic. I can speak about it forever. We'll take 90 seconds. Okay, stop me. But the other thing I will say is when it comes to culture, there is an example that I sometimes share with leaders. I'll say culture is like a piece of water that dropped on your dinner table. Okay, so it's clear, it's pure. But if you touch it too much, it's going to get diluted eventually. So yes, you have to guide it. You have to give it a bit of nudge. And if you want it to look a particular way, if you want to square it or whatnot, you may have to put a frame around it. Having said that, if you touch it too much, if you initiate change just for the sake of change, or because someone else is doing it, and that's the next shiny thing in the place, you are going to dilute your culture. And That's not worth it. You have to ask yourself, why am I doing something? What's the problem I'm trying to solve for? That's the essential question. And then decide consciously what's really required. And majority of the time, I find when we go into organizations, half of the material is already there. They don't even have to regenerate anything half the time. And then there may be 50% or 40% where we bring in some new interventions or ask people to exercise a different kind of mindset or grow some skills, whatnot. But most of the time, the ingredients are already there.
1: Okay, I love it. Thanks for the riff. And that tees up a question I want to ask you. And I'm curious, in your experience, as a consultant coming into help organizations, I'm stumbling to ask the question here because I don't want, you know, the other attorney to say leading question, leading question. (laughs) Go for it. I am leading you. But is it better for you to come in and create something for the client you serve or co-create something with the client you serve? Always,
0: always, always co-create. And if possible we don't touch anything. We show them the way and they create. That's always, always, always my preference. Absolutely. The thing about, again, the thing about culture, think of it from our human bodies. You know, if you are trying to, I don't know, have your kidney function better, you can't have an external intervention come in and do the work for you. You would have to watch what you're eating. It has to come from within. And it's the same about culture transformation It's this. When it's coming from within, it's best if it's serving the values people feel connected to and can identify with and feel they can live the rest of their time. It's best if it's being already showcased at the, at the levels where it needs to be from the change agents and leaders in the organization. But I'm not someone who actually believes in quick cutter solutions nor bringing external interventions, again, for the sake of it. Not at all.
1: Okay. So, however, I heard you say earlier that often leaders, executives are looking for the cookie cutter solution. So how do you handle this tension that the best solution is what we co-create together, but you don't want to co-create it the moment. You just want us to import something that solves your problem. How do you handle that?
0: Yes. You know, I won't give you the answer you're looking for probably, but what I can tell you is you do grow tough skin over time. So I do not shy away from challenging leaders, asking proactive and inquisitive questions to get them thinking. Actually, that's the idea. The idea is to give them a different perspective. And there are, you know, a gazillion different ways. One does it. I can't really say I do it this way or that way to change. Depend on the circumstances and the person, but nevertheless, the key is to help them shift their mindset. If they can look at the situation at hand from a different perspective, often they arrive at answers themselves anyway. I don't have to do anything for
1: them. Absolutely, and that's what I love. And so, you and I seem to be wired very similarly.
2: I feel you, Kevin. I feel you.
0: <laughs>
1: you know the, While the client is looking for us to come tell them the answer, we operate with the belief you already know the answer. Mm-hmm. You're just not framing the question correctly or not asking the right question. So let us help you draw out of your organization those elements that are already there and repackage or reposition them to get the solution you're looking for.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. Now, I know. Well, I want to ask you something before I go into that one. This one, I found this somewhere in a document. You believe, and I believe that's why we're having this conversation on the Higher Purpose podcast, business can play a crucial role in helping humanity achieve that work that's inspiring, that creates Mm -hmm. energy, meaning, safety, and joy. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. (laughs) What gives you that belief and what are the examples that continue to inspire you down that path? You know, that companies are capable of this. They just need a little help.
0: Yeah. So it's a really, really good question. So I'm going to take a step back. The Industrial Revolution, you know, 4.0 or whatever it's called at the moment, the Age of Amazement is a new experience for us. So throughout the history, we have really never experienced the unpredictability of our economics or the change of pace that we have today, that we are witnessing today. And what's also becoming unarguable, I think, for us is that our current governing structures are not prepared to bridge the environmental, the economic, the social aspect of our humanities, Mm. nor our world leaders are Mm. included to role model the way. Okay. So I think this is where the unique opportunity for Mm. business comes in, where business can become the model for sustainable change. So I actually believe, and I hope we go there, we can reinvent capitalism Mm. by serving and complementing our humanities. And we, we meaning you, me, and all of us who are listening and part of this conversation as the future leaders of the business community can role model the transcendence. Yeah. So we can become the models that we want to see in the world. That, mm-hmm. That's an honest belief.
1: Absolutely. There's a quotation I'll share with you from Max Stackhouse, who was a professor here in the United States. Okay. His perspective came from a book that he edited on moral business back in the 90s, that Mm. increasingly business leaders are the stewards of civilization. I love that. Yeah. So that taps into what you were just saying. So I know that you are often involved in future of work conversations. So how is work and workplace evolving? Mm-hmm. And what are the changes you see, you know, near term and beyond? How do you yeah. answer that question, Cecile?
0: Sure. So I may have a long answer to this question, but let me see how That's I can. Okay. So there are a number of trends that are sort of fostering the evolution of our work experience. And I'll try to categorize them instead okay. of all. So first of all, globalization is definitely taking the world by its ears. There are disruptive changes to current business and resource models. I mentioned many of the organizations we serve are actively rethinking their value chains and these changes will continue. So they will continue to have a profound impact on our organizational models, that's one. Then there's digitalization, which everyone talks about the artificial intelligence, the robotics, the smart technologies, all of it. And across a number of countries now, the highest demand occupations and specialties today didn't exist five to 10 years ago. So that pace is expected to accelerate. And I often quote one statistics where it says 65% of our children entering primary school today in 2019 will ultimately end up working in completely new jobs that don't even exist today. So we have no idea what they're going to go in for and how do we prepare them is another question. But that's amazing for me because throughout our lifetime, we have seen the shift from, you know, being manufacturing to information societies and now, you know, doing manual work to more of the creative mind works. There's just a lot of change happening. The third one is the process of democratization. And I know at the moment, it feels like there's a lot of polarization around the world, and there is. But when we look at the broader picture and over the course of history, there's actually quite a bit of democratization happening. And not only in demographics, but also more and more people are looking to have a voice through better representation. So organizations who are kind of looking for the best and the brightest not only face scarcity, they actually face clear demands and expectations for an enhanced workplace. So these are kind of the three big categories or factors that make the ability to sort of anticipate and prepare for a future increasingly a difficult task for businesses. But when I think about workplace, I think of leadership as being one that's changing, that's shifting fast. And I'm really behind this. And again, it ties to my belief that we can be the leaders that we want to be represented by. But traditionally speaking, we have thought of leadership as a particular state or position. We very closely associated it with doing something well. So if someone was promoted into what we consider a leadership position, you know, higher up in the hierarchy, we look to them, we admire them but we mentally elevated them and thought they must be there because they have something special going on. You know, they have a unique gift or whatnot.
2: Mm.
0: And, you know, that had a number of repercussions for us, which I won't go into, but this is a very skewed view into leadership.
2: Mm. First
0: of all, when we look at the etymology of leadership, we see it has very little to do with authority and almost nothing to do with, in quotes, doing something well. It's more about being a guide, traveling along in a flow, being a reflector, putting up a mirror. I say it's more about being a particular way than doing something well. So there's a service aspect, there's individual power, there's the idea of interconnectedness. It's just so different than the one definition we have adopted over the years. So I think in the new era, We'll start understanding that we are all leaders and artists of our creation, that leaders sit in mini chairs inside an organization. But to lead others, we have to lead ourselves first. You know, that comes first. And then we can consider leading others' organizations or change. And also, I think we will understand leaders inspired of course the minds of their followers but also the hearts and the hands and they have to lead for connection meaning sometimes they're going to be the leader in the front but other times they're going to be the follower in the back so we have to get comfortable with you know having that sort of dynamism so I said a lot I'm sorry but the definition of leadership for me is evolving and it's a big one and I think it's going to have a huge impact in the workplace Let me just stop there and and allow you to speak. I'm so sorry.
1: There there is nothing, nothing to apologize for, Cecile. This is beautiful. So there are a lot of questions that come out of that. And I was jotting notes. I love how you see leadership different. And I share that view. Where I want to go in the time we have here before us at the moment, what are the different Skill sets mm-hmm. that leaders in this, where we hope business goes, if business goes where we aspire it to go to a more human first, human centric work and workplace, what skill sets will be more valuable in the future than have been valued in the past?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for asking. I know we were in a conversation on a different platform this morning. So let me tell you a little bit about that. Please. So, over the past two years, together with Stanford University's one nonprofit center, it's called Center for Compassion, Altruistic Research and Education, CCARE is the short for it. So, with Stanford University's care we explore the kind of questions that can sort of reconnect us back to the original terms of leadership. And we studied thousands of organizations and their leadership behaviors to understand what it means or what it may mean to be a leader in this increasingly complex, highly digitized, Mm -hmm. challengingly interconnected world. And we look to understand which knowledge, mindset, and behaviors are at play in driving sustainable transformations and what sorts of inside out interventions again it goes back to our belief that it's not external only it's also internal so what sort of inside out interventions may help us develop resilience and support creation of environments where more of us can thrive in so again Inarguably, there are a number of factors that go into creation of positive climates. But through our study, we named what we call core human attributes that are key for us to consider, embrace, and potentially invest in. And these are purpose, courage, foresight, emotional insight, wonder, wisdom, compassion, and mastery. So there are eight of them. Mm. And Kevin recognized these are attributes that are available to all of us as human beings. Yes. Despite geography, despite levels of income, education or experience, doesn't matter. We are born into them. And we learned in our study, the majority of us, you're going to laugh at this, have a stronger connection to these attributes as children. Mm. So imagine, you know, as a child, take courage as an example. As children, we don't shy away from saying, I don't want that or I don't like that. Yeah. My mom has this story where I told her boss because she used to work really long hours that I don't like him because my mom couldn't come home on time. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have that kind of courage. We exercise mm-hmm. that kind of courage and then something happens along the way as we develop what we call consciousness. But mm-hmm. okay, I would argue that, but we won't go into it. So, And then we discovered These are the attributes, but there are a couple of prerequisites. So we discovered self-esteem is a must in developing or investing in these attributes and self-awareness is key to their development. So we understood when those things exist and when there is an intent to develop them consciously, they each support first the expansion of our individual capacity and from there, They motivate a number of positive outcomes that enhance organizational capabilities. So let me give an example. We found, for example, in environments where leaders were reported to have a clear purpose and employees were connected to a mission, we found organizations as a whole had a better experience connecting to inspiration and meaning formation. Okay. Similarly, in organizations where leaders were reportedly busy and employees were struggling to find reflective space to exercise wonder, organizations had a harder time to engage in creativity. So if a leader was exercising one of the attributes in a positive sense, there was a positive outcome in a collective sense. And if they weren't, then there was a negative outcome in a collective sense too. So it went both ways, which is really quite amazing. At the moment, we're writing a white paper, so I'm hoping it becomes available for more people. But I think it gives us a bit of a sense that we don't need yet another definition for leadership or another formula. We already have it. It's just we have to have the intent to. Exercise that choice to show up, really, the way that we want to be led.
1: Bear with me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love that. To exercise the intent to show up the way we want to be led. Mm -hmm. So our time is getting away from us here. This is where I would invite you to kind of, you know, as we begin to try to land this plane, talk to you listening, us listening. What can we do practically today? Mm -hmm. to get more in touch with how we really want to lead, purpose, courage, foresight, emotional insight, wonder, wisdom, compassion, and mastery. What's your encouragement? I don't want to go to the future, just in the moment, this year, 2019, what would you encourage us so we flourish in our journey and create an environment for others to flourish around us?
0: Yeah. I would say lean in. I think showing up is really, really big. And I really believe this. We have a choice to our reality every day. And when we do, our act becomes contagious. That's just the reality. It's a scientific fact.
1: Okay. Say more about that. I agree with you. I just want to hear that from a scientific standpoint.
0: Yeah. There's something called social contagion. I don't know if you're familiar with the terminology. but Usually what happens is if we go in to a room with a genuine smile on our face, other people hmm. eventually will end up with a smile on their face and they will do it unconsciously. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's why when we yawn, we find other people around us end up yawning. Right. There is a true contagiousness to the way we show up in our energy it's also in our mindset but it's also in our behavior so there's a psychological physiological and a spiritual being there and that translates somehow so I would say just have the intention to show up that doesn't mean you're going to be at your best every day it doesn't mean you're going to exercise courage every day Because let's face it, we all falter. I mean, that's the honest answer. There are times where I know I have to have a difficult conversation and hey, I chicken from it, right? So we all do it. But if the intent is Mm -hmm. to do your best every day with every breath, I think we're halfway there. That's what I would say.
1: Okay. So I want to ask. Again, in my simple understanding, simple way of understanding, something just a synapse connected in my mind a moment ago. I want to ask if I got this, that every one of us listening can be a catalyst for a different way of living, loving, and leading in our environment, even if the environment is not ultimately conducive or supportive of that. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. it. So that's the challenge that every one of you listening, what can you do today to be a catalyst of kindness and create a conspiracy of care and purpose and meaning in the environment and watch your influence on others? Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So what would you like to say? that draws this conversation to a close for you Cecilia. I just had it for me. I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God, this is beautiful. But I want to turn that over to you. How would you wrap this up into a, you know, a
0: beautiful mm. package? I don't know if I have any more wise words left in me. Let's see. Maybe there are a couple of things that I do want to say. First of all, you know, for those of you who are listening and for the ones involved in the community, we use this language of human-centered work or human first or people first, work human, all of that. Right. And it may just sound like we're using language without conscious, but it's not true. Mm. I think what we are saying is how we allocate and prioritize our resources where the rubber meets the road is our teller. And when we say human first or people first or work human, what we are saying is inside of an organization, and that could be for-profit or non-profit, doesn't matter. No matter the circumstances, we will always put people as the most critical factor in our decision-making process. Mm. Under no circumstances, people will be a secondary to our concentration. If anything, I will settle for 50-50. Mm. So if we can meet each other at that level, even when someone is not meeting the performance standards that we may have for them, even though if we have to go through some sort of job-cutting exercise where we mm-hmm. are doing a redundancy in work, in the most negative scenarios, if we can put people as the most critical factor in our decision-making, we won't wrong each other and we will actually lift each other up. That's what I believe in. And it's not just a belief. I want to say I live it. I've lived it in my HR practice for many, many years. And now I see it come through through our consulting work. So it's possible but, you know, the thing about, again, culture transformation is that it's heavily, heavily influenced by design. And there has to be true intent because that's the only time paradigm starts to shift. If the designers of the system are not genuine in intent and are not constantly participating, then you don't see transformation happening. Mm-hmm. So we have to take part. We have to lean in and we have to show up. That's what I would say.
1: Yeah. It doesn't happen on autopilot.
0: It doesn't. I wish there was a magic wand that would just come and make it all right for us. But it just doesn't work that way.
1: Oh, Cecile, what a delightful conversation. Thank you. So for people that are wanting more, you talked about white papers. You've done videos. You have dozens or hundreds of resources. How do people access them? Where do they find them?
0: Yeah, thank you for asking. I'm really trying to get the message out there along with many, many people who do amazing work. This is a huge undertaking. It's not a movement one person or an organization can lead alone. And I can't tell you, Kevin, I'm so grateful to have a community that I'm not the only crazy out there dancing, if you know what I mean. (laughs) But, you know, there are different channels we are trying to get the message out from, you know, via video, be the blog, whatever com is probably the best place people can find me on i'm on linkedin pretty discoverable really and i really try very hard in fact i think i do to return all of the messages even if it's a gentle no for a specific request i try to again live what i preach right i try to acknowledge that there is a person
1: who is being acknowledged. so well i can validate that Because I reached out to you and asked you to do something that I'm not sure you were sure you wanted to do originally.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm so glad we had, though. I'm so glad you reached out, and I'm really delighted to be part of the conversation. I hope it was of some value for our listeners today, and I'd be honored to share more in time about any of the work or any of the research we're doing, too, Kevin. So you're always welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Cecile. Okay, Cecile, I'm just on overload and overwhelm and overflow at this point. I'm sitting here just trying to say, wow, what do I want to say? What do I want to call out of this amazing conversation to invite and encourage you on your journey? First off, I just want to say that every one of us, everybody on the planet has this longing for belonging, and that longing for belonging extends to the workplace. And workplaces that really get this and leaders who get this and lead this way are humans first heroes and your champions. So I just want to applaud you. Everybody, we all want to be seen, heard of, cared for, and recognized for the contributions we make in the workplace. And when people do that, when your leaders do that, There is love. Secondly, I want to talk about what Cecile said, that leadership is shifting and it's shifting fast. And the leaders who thrive and flourish in today's and the day's coming leadership arenas are guides and reflectors or mirrors. And it's more about being than it is about doing. I'd love to hear what's resonating with you from this conversation. The last thing that I want to say, I just want to remind you that you, you and me, we have a choice. We can show up today and create a conspiracy of kindness, a conspiracy of purpose, meaning, and love, and we can contribute to the social contagion in your workplace. Even if your leaders don't get it, you can be a light. You can be a bright spot. Hey, I'd love to hear what's rolling through your mind at this moment. You know, you can email me kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call me 678-744-5111. Hey, until we connect again, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, I want to remind you and encourage you, exhort you to live, love, and lead with purpose.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you wanting to grow as a human's first leader and connect in meaningful conversation with other human's first leaders? Join the Human's First Book Club, where they dive deep into a book a month and engage the authors in conversation. Go to humansfirstbookclub.com.